Welcome to Talk 30 to Me, a show where we talk about the perspective of 30-somethings on life. My kid is an asshole. Love. Did I tell you about the girl that dumped me twice in a week? And the never-ending pursuit of fulfillment. My name is Anthony, but most people just call me Turd. And I'm Randy Z. Let's start the show. <laughs> I like that little... Ah! Why isn't it turning on? <laughs> now we're good. We're ready. <laughs> Are we ready? Because mm-hmm. I literally just started this episode, and that was probably the best intro I have ever done. <laughs> All and you said was gone. hello, everybody. <laughs> you didn't do anything special. Well, All you we'll said never was hello, know what everybody. I actually said. You could be making that up, and it sounded phenomenal. It did not. It was the best, cleanest intro I have ever done. Anyway. And it is gone because you told me we were recording, but we weren't recording. You were just fucking with me. How dare you? Yes. You have just impeded upon my artiste. The artiste inside of me <laughs> is gone. He's dead. There's no more creativity in this episode. You, you were just, it was just budding. You and now are. It's dead. it's dead. It didn't even have a chance to bud. It was a little sprout and you squashed it. You plucked it. In the right. soil. Okay. It's newly minted roots. Okay. Yeah, we've gone on too long. Gone. Randy, what have you done? So, <laughs> All right. So did you get did you get the <laughs> Hamilton tickets? Did you end up getting your Hamilton tickets? I did. I did end up getting Hamilton tickets. I got four tickets and I paid way too much and my wife is going to kill me, but I love Hamilton mm-hmm. and she understands that and she is a wonderful person. Wow, you're really laying it on thick. You I got have... I got in trouble already. I don't oh, know why. She, you already she, got in trouble? Yeah, she, yeah, I got in trouble. But it wasn't because I bought them. It was because I bought them before asking her whether or not it was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So don't, guys out there, if you do that and you end up already buying them before you ask your wife, don't ask her if it's okay after the fact. Just go ahead and tell her, hey, by the way. I got him and and take that beating then and there because if you wait a little bit longer, I think it gets worse, like to a magnitude of like one hundred. You know, definitely it, exponential. It's funny hearing you give relationship advice now about about marriage. So, I mean, you've had some strong things to say in past episodes, and I was talking to your wife, and she had she had some no. very very strong <laughs> opinions about what your views are like and uh, how she's portrayed. So I kind of want to put this out there and see if anybody is interested in having Turk's wife on the show to debunk half the shit he said. I, debunk? Really? Yeah. It's not, it doesn't need debunking. There's no bunk here. It is all pure 100% spunk. <laughs> 100% spunk? Spunk. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Did you just spit your coffee back into your cup? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> well, <laughs> you couldn't have seen it, obviously, because you're listening, but that was quite a sight. <laughs> but you did it like you didn't miss a beat. To, I don't know how you did It's like you anticipated me saying Spunk. You had no clue what I was going to say. Not at all, not at all. But no, but your your wife, I think she doesn't want to come on the show because I don't know. She doesn't want to get into it with you. She's voice conscious too. 
Is she? She's worried about what you might say. Because her her thing is she's worried about how you might feel. Yeah, she does. She does very much take my feelings into account. And she knows it is my show and she doesn't want to hijack it. But I have told her it's fine. (laughs) And I will give her a stern talking to. So I think hopefully by the end of the show we'll. Wow. Stern talking to. Stern talking. Yeah. Hopefully by the end of the show we'll have a hashtag. And uh, if we get enough people interested. What would the hashtag be? I don't know. We'll figure it out by the end of the show. We still got time. A lot of time if we keep going at this pace. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let us know. Tweet us uh, if you want to hear what Turg's wife has to say about Turg uh, and his views on relationships. So anyway, Hamilton, you're going. When, are you, when did you get your tickets? Or what day? I got my tickets a while ago, like uh, not, two not, or three weeks ago. I meant. Uh, oh, what, what am, when am I going? I'm going in September, early September or oh, mid-September. Really? Yeah. I thought you were going in December. You know, so I changed my tickets. I was able to swap them out and wow. get better seats and all that. Yeah, so I'm sitting like within 10 rows and yeah, it's, it's Jesus. Nuts. Center. Boom. First 10 rows. Mm-hmm. See, it, it's fine for you because you're, no disrespect, you're a smaller person. So you can it, fit it, in it the is, smaller yeah, seats. Yeah, they are very, very tiny. I, I don't think they accounted for the fact that America would just kind of like inflate over the next 100 or so year. How long has Vantage just been there? 75? I don't know. Something like that. I didn't get the history tour like you did when you bought your season passes. <laughs> it's a perk. You should do it. I know, right? It's a write-off. <laughs> I knew you were oh. going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> the IRS is listening. Joking. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, so how do we want to get into the episode? <laughs> <laughs> Where is that going? It's all going in there. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's hilarious. That's all right. So forgetting about Hamilton for a minute. You have had some interesting stories as to why you couldn't necessarily record on certain days. Did it impede your recording schedule? No, you were kind of driven to complete. Yeah, no, it did. We missed. We missed, uh, we missed one a week. Days. Yeah, one week that would have been our our all our May dates. Um, so, I mean, this was this was a, one of those life lessons that you have to 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 get, I guess, depending on where you grew up. Uh, I hired a hood contractor, so a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy that could take care of uh, putting in some recessed lighting for me. Yeah, those are kind of sketch, but explain what you're doing, like the whole scope of what you're doing. Uh, well, okay, what, it all goes back to the housing situation, right? And I've been in the housing market. I have I have a huge sum of money. I'm ready to go. And then when I get my requalification, I qualify at a higher amount as far as like my monthly mortgage, what I can afford. But because the interest rates have gone up so significantly, I actually qualify for less now than I did a year ago. So with that, I was just like, okay, maybe I just have to be patient, keep saving, get a bigger mm. down payment ready to go. So in the meantime, uh, me and Sankeys have been having issues with our uh, our editing space. Your love life. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good opportunity. I had to jump on it, okay? It's childish, I know, but I had to. So we haven't been able to have like a decent place to consistently record. Uh, and so after a while, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to bring back. Because I, I, back in, in 08, I was running a record label out of my house, right? And I had set up a studio. I didn't use it in the last, I don't know, five, four years, maybe a couple of times here and there. Uh, so when I went through and I just, I ripped everything out of the room and I decided to redo the desk, redo the entire setup and make it conducive to a two-person working space for editing. For lovemaking. Okay. <laughs> and the issue, the issue that arose in my head, I was like, okay, 
I took everything out. I painted it. I built a new desk, redid like my shelving to be more conducive to the space. In my head, I was like, I can get this done in a week, maybe two weeks. Then I had the bright idea of I need better lighting because uh, the fixtures in the house are from like the 50s from the house was originally built. So I was like, I need better lighting. And uh, my initial idea was to actually do like installed photography lighting so that way we could be filming and editing yeah. in there. Um, it would have gotten annoying just kind of chilling in your room like, <laughs> wow, I feel like I'm on set like all the time. That's my life. I'm yeah. always on set. Oh, it's deep. That is a quote. All right. Let me write that down. <laughs> That's how I write. Yeah, you make the noise. <laughs> so I decided, you know, I figured I was going to do all this stuff at at home. Yep. And then I was like, you know what? It doesn't make sense because if I'm leaving, why would I do that to a room that my mom wants to use for something else later, right? Yeah, not very smart. So I just ended up doing, okay, mom, what do you want in the room as far as lighting goes? She's like, I want recessed lighting. So I went and you know got some quotes. So, mom, you want like photography studio lighting <laughs> yeah, in there right. all the time? Oh, okay. Wow. It's funny how our views align. Right. So, anyway, I ended up getting recessed lighting. <laughs> I got a couple quotes, found a guy that said, Oh, yeah, I could do it for 600, including cans, uh, cans and, but not bulbs. How many cans? I did five. LED? Yes. You don't need bulbs for LEDs. Well, I ended up getting LED lights. Well, I, d- I didn't do it like this. I actually did real cans and I just put LED bulbs in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm pointing yeah. like this, I'm pointing at Turk's recess lighting yeah. in his house. <laughs> yeah. You guys can't see that, but I have recess lighting here. Just beautiful built-in LEDs. Yeah. So I I thought about doing it like like this, where there be spotlights and you can move them, but mm-hmm. then I used to know how they would turn out. And I hear a lot of bad things about LEDs coming, how LED lights like these come out um, when filming. So I didn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can definitely take a different color. You have to pick your color wisely, the temperature. Yeah. Yeah. So... Anyway, I, I hired this guy. He said he could do it in a day for 600 bucks, And I was like, cool. Wow. Right? He says he's going to show up 9 a.m. Tuesday morning. And he showed up around noon on Wednesday. Just unannounced? Like, what's up? Hey, I'm here. No, I mean, he had texted me saying, oh, I can't make it. And then I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there 9 a.m. Wednesday. And then he showed up at noon. <laughs> and then, and then okay, something, not a good sign. Then okay. something happened. And uh, I guess he had a fight with his brother. Which was because he underbid the, the job at the house. So they, they got in a fight over oh, it. Oh, no. And so he, he shows up. And so my mom turns into the project manager for this, right? So she's got the cash. She's like, okay, this is the budget. This is what we're doing. This is what we can work with. Whatever you don't spend on materials is what you get to keep, right? And he's like, okay, cool. He shows up. They go to Home Depot. They buy the stuff, come back. And he's like, my mom's calling me. Can I? No, mind you, he's... He's like, he has to be at least in his 40s. Or if he's not, then he's just, he. I mean, he was already unhealthy. I was really worried that he was going to die under my house <laughs> or just like pass out in, in the, the attic. attic? <laughs> yeah, I was really worried. That's a, that's a real fucking concern right there. Yeah. So he goes, they, they literally go from like 12 to 1, go buy this stuff, come back. And he's like, hey, do you mind if I take a two-hour lunch? I got to go talk to my mom. <laughs> he's like, can I get $50 for lunch? Wow. <laughs> so So this is, I mean, it just progressively just got worse from there. I gave him, I gave, you know, I, I cleaned out most of the room, but I left the big stuff in there, like my bookshelf, uh, my bed, the whole yeah. stuff. I gave him drop cloths to cover everything. And he put the drop cloths all over the floor and left everything else exposed and just started cutting into my oh, walls. And then my stupid man. ass, right? I, I painted, uh, I painted a wall and then I decided to have this done. So we, and then he had to cut into my freshly painted wall and I had to read, you know, it was just a, a pain in the ass. So anyway. It got to the point where my mom was actually making him lunch so he wouldn't leave. 
Because when he'd leave, he'd be gone for like two, three hours. That's smart. Yeah. So we started, smart. started making him lunch and giving him food uh, just to kind of keep him there. So then Friday comes around and he, the job was supposed to be done, what, Wednesday, Thursday? Friday comes around and I'm, I get off of work and I go there and I'm helping him put in the cans. Oh, and, that's right. That's when I invited you to the Clipper game. Yeah. And I could, I could, I was like, I got to finish this thing, man. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Anyway, seven o'clock rolls around. Well, at first he's like, okay, we should be able to finish tonight. Seven o'clock, seven o'clock rolls around. Hey, you know what? I got to go. I got to go pay a bill. I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> at seven o'clock, pay a bill. What? Okay. So he's like, can I get a hundred dollars? <laughs> so I give him his money. He goes pays the bill. I was like, this fucker is not coming back. Nine o'clock, get a knock on the door. Hey, I'm here to finish. I was like, oh, okay. Well, well, shit, let's let's do this. He worked from 9 p.m. to about 1 a.m. and finished at 1 a.m. Saturday morning. What I, the fuck? Are you kidding me? Yeah, it was. You it, got it done, though. It, it was done. Does it look good? It does look good, and it works. That's, like, does it look good? Yeah, yeah. And then I, I, I took pictures of the wiring and sent it to my uncle, who's an electrician. He's like, yeah, it's done correctly. I was like, cool. Yeah, to code. You want to make sure everything's in right. the junction box. Right, got, right, yeah, right. Okay. So that's all done. So then I spent, I spent that following Saturday that we were supposed to record uh, slowly cleaning off all the dust from my bookshelf, <laughs> individually cleaning every single one of my books. That was, that was your fault, man. Come I on, had to, I, I had to. I had to first sweep, then I had to dust, then I had to remop, and then mop again. It was yeah, just... That's, yeah. And it's not that big of a space. I mean, no, it's, it's a, a lot of dust for It's a 11 small, by 12, yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah, it was it was just a... Was Incredible a how long it took you to get this whole project done for, for I'm still room. I'm still almost... Imagine the whole house. Yeah. Yeah. So then I uh, I decided to build a custom desk. I built custom shelves, and I'm installing all this stuff as I go when I have time on my weekends and evenings. So tonight... Today, well, I don't know about today because I have a photo shoot at five uh, back on USC's campus. So I don't know if I'll be home by seven or eight, but I'm hoping to install my last shelves. And I just got this whole little succulent setup that I that I planted. I'm shaking my head right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about it, man. But I just, I just, just literally been... tweeted you something about. Is that what my, yeah. my phone rang? Yeah. <laughs> I found it and I was like, this is so you right now. Oh. Apparently succulents um apparently succulents are in. So I was thinking a lot about your hood contractor buddy in that story. Yeah, well, I mean he wasn't my buddy. It sounded like you guys got pretty close. You know, he he just opened up a lot and I <laughs> I didn't know what to do, so I just listened. Well, <laughs> I'm sure he didn't just end up in that kind of precarious situation and with all his drama precarious. and all that. Yeah, I mean, because he brought his family drama. He brought his business drama. People don't just end up like that. That's the no. thing, right? That that kind of thing develops. There are events in someone's life, in people's he, lives. That he actually told me that at some point in time, well, I'm saying at some point in time, he was the, I think, the groundskeeper for one of the local community colleges, which wow, community colleges pay very well. Yeah, sure. And it's pretty stable for the most part unless you really fuck up. Right. I, I'd imagine. So I, I don't like what would have happened for him to get to the point where now he's just taking on odd end jobs to, you know, make Pay the bills. Yeah. yeah. And that's the interesting part about meeting people. And that's why I like interacting with people so much is that you get that side of the story. But sometimes there are some people that I don't really need that, you know, and right. he would have probably been one of them. <laughs> I could have went without all that background. But that kind of springboards us into what we want to talk about today and a lot of that is uh, focusing on carrying the conversation from the last couple of episodes 
to now and restructuring to emphasize how we got where we are. So kind of highlighting our journey um, revolving around our career choices and where we are now and really what shaped where we are now. Because, I mean, that, that story was a perfect kind of frame to our picture um, to kind of give us a little bit of background on, you know what, you might not always get to choose where you land. Yeah. It might just be a, you might just be a victim of circumstance, right? Yeah. We've all had an interesting story to tell about how we got where we're at. Randy, how has your journey really impacted your identity? as a millennial and as a member of society? My journey. Um, I mean, it, it's twofold, really, mm-hmm. right? For the, it always is. It, al- <laughs> it always is. There's, there's the part of me that pursued the, the path that was my way of, of giving back and, and contributing to an experience that I was not entirely happy with or I felt what, didn't have people that could relate to me or understood where I was coming from. So I decided to go down that path and be that person for people that came after me. Okay. And then then there's the path of, of pursuing entertainment, right? And that was just one of those things where I never thought it was actually something you could actually, it was just one of, it was a fantasy. It was never something that could be a reality. And then at, at some point I just kind of decided, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And, and who's to say I can't do it in tandem? Uh, you know, there was, there was this one moment that really stood out in my mind that that let me know that I was kind of on the right path. And it was when I was an intern in undergrad doing a, a higher ed internship. Okay. And do you remember Deaf Poetry Jam? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah so that one inspired of my, me. One of my favorite poets, uh, Gemini, um, it, was, it was super random. So I was at this conference and I did an open mic and this guy comes up to me afterwards and he's like, yo, man, you're, you're really talented. You, you did a really good job up there. And I was like, man, thanks. You know, appreciate it. And uh, I was like, why do you look so familiar? And it clicked with me. This dude was Gemini. Oh, shit. The, the poet. Really? And he was the dean of students at Seton Hall University. No way. So he told me how he balances his life and does student affairs, higher ed stuff. And then during spring break and other, you know, times off or, you know, lower, uh, not lower, but downtime with university uh, gigs, he was able to go and do tours and record albums and this and that. And I was just like, okay, so this is very, very feasible to be able to balance both worlds. According to a random personality. Someone that I really kind of looked up to, but yeah. And knew nothing about outside right. of the fact that he does Def Jam poetry and this shit's dope. And, and he's the dean of students at a prominent university. Sure. Seton Hall, yeah. Very prominent. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of where, where I kind of took the, the influence. You know, I had one opportunity that was a very secure path and one opportunity that was very obscure and very off the beaten path. And I had no one that I could really talk to or, or uh, bounce ideas off of or, or get advice from. So I just really dove in on my own and did my own research and just dove into it Okay, with the security of still being in higher ed. That's a large part of the story, right? You have an inspirational figure and you kind of pursue what you think would be your path based on what they've already accomplished because it's so much easier to travel a path that has a known endpoint, right? Yeah, you know. Is that what it was for you? Kind of. And if I'm if I'm paralleling my music career to anything, I would say I really tried to model it after Barry Gordy, the creator of Motown. Okay. Um 
I knew that. <laughs> totally. Barry, Barry Gordy and me go way back. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because I remember I read his book, uh, his, his autobiography, one of my favorite reads. And his career trajectory was started as a songwriter, ended up creating one of the most notable labels uh, in the history of American music. And then he went into film. And that's where he lost me, right? And I was just like, that's cool. You know, that's that's where he ended up progressing to is working in, in film as a producer and I think a director. And for myself at 22, 23, I was, I was a songwriter that had created a label. And I had no desire to go further than that. I actually wanted to create the label for myself, right? So I created this whole existence so that way I could I could build up this place for myself and eventually get someone else to run it so then I could sign myself and finally have a home on the label. That was my entire goal. Wow. Never turned into any of that, right? <laughs> it's a very interesting fucking path. Yeah. So, and it's crazy now looking back almost eight years ago where it, as much as I've dove into film in the last year and a half, like it was just a natural progression, right? Because you, you do music and then you do music with visuals and then you get into the visuals of stuff sure. and then do the music to drive the story. Sure. Um, so, so seeing the parallels in, in what he outlined in his career and, and how I kind of subconsciously, well, purposely followed some of them and then subconsciously followed the others. It's interesting to have an influence that I've never met. Right. Sure. Yeah. I guess I could see that. And, and trying to recreate something that I felt was lacking, uh, because in the early two thousands, I think this was very, very pre millennial as far as like how it became a social influence the millennial generation, the music industry was, became very, not to say microwave, but it was all about the single, all about the single, never about the album anymore. And I right. cared more about the album and the story. And, right. and I wanted to re rekindle that whole experience for the music listener. And the way the industry was moving was more so about getting the single, getting the money, and then we'll give you more money to make the, the album. So what was the driving factor behind that decision? I mean, sure, you had a, mo a role model, you had an influence, you wanted to go after that, but what was the ultimate deciding factor? The deciding factor for me was, was that it, was, it sounds so corny, dude. Like, I, if I wanted to see change, I had to be the change I wanted to see. So if I didn't like the way things were being handled, if I didn't like the way music was being presented, if I didn't like the way labels were curating the music for, for the listeners then I had to be an active change in what was going to be presented as options for listening. I like that. I can live with that. <laughs> I, can, I can accept that as part of you. All right. And that's very millennial of you, right? I guess. I don't know. Because that, that's where I kind of go back and forth. Like, is that millennial or is that not? Because am I going by, mm -hmm. am I going against the establishment? Or am I trying to bring up this idea of like counterculture again, right? Yeah. I, am I trying to bring up, because essentially I'm trying to bring back what was the culture of music. Right. Before it got, you know, became counterculture. Yeah, right? I I don't know if that's very millennial me of not or not. I think it is. How so? You just explained it. You, I explained my my conflicting ideals or experiences. And the conflicting ideals essentially describe the the millennial struggle. I guess if we look at it in the sense of I tried to go the traditional route, which was to create a demo, shop it out, get signed by a label, and it didn't happen. So I had to create my own path and create my own lane for myself. So how much of that was the fact that, well, let me ask you this real quick. Around what year was this? This was uh, 2006, 2007. So right before the entire world crashed, just died. Yeah, pretty much. So right after 
you formed this label, the economy crashed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, about there. So my my thinking behind this was it must not have been easy for you after the economy crashed to kind of get accomplished what you wanted to get accomplished, right? Because everyone was kind of like tightening up. Yeah, there was there was no money anywhere, and and after I think maybe four years of, of working on different projects and actually paying for it ourselves. So we were the executive producers of the artists that we'd bring in and sign and and and, and do the music for. Mm. We decided that it was it was just too much and we didn't have the resources to fully help them like we wanted to. In the sense of like for people that needed help with vocal coaches, we didn't have them on staff or people that needed personal trainers or whatever the case was. Mm. Um, and that's when we recalibrated and decided to go a different direction, which was where's the money? Film has the money, so let's go into film and and do be the music guys for film. In essence, my thinking was before the economy collapsed, it was probably super easy for you to actually try and get a gig landed had you actually pursued it. So how long did you actually pursue that before you started your label? Well, Cliff Cliff was in it for from 2003 to 2007, 2008 by himself. Okay. Uh, then I came in around like 2006 and we started doing, or 2004 and we started doing stuff together. Uh, but I was like, you know, only during spring break. I was doing it f- full time, maybe a year before I decided, I was like, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. This wow. is, and then I decided to just do it on my own, figure out my own way. Okay. Which was. So one year. In retrospect, you know, someone, I mean, because someone told me like, you know, it's going to take you 10 years in the game to be, really pop off and, and find success in the music industry right. on a, on a yeah. commercial level. Sure. And I was just like, I could do this faster. I'm, I'm sure very, that's a, very millennial. Very millennial. <laughs> very millennial. Very, very impatient mm-hmm. and entitled. You know, um, it, it goes without saying. It's it, it's a rough road, no matter what career choice you pick. And I'm starting to realize that myself. Just starting now. Well, yeah, because I, I've been so, I've been very aggressive with my career in the past four years. I mean, you have alluded to this a lot in the past, and. For for me, I always thought that I can do anything I put my mind to, as long as my intentions are pure. And you why know, with why with the caveat though? Well, because if I'm in it for anybody, or if I'm in it just for the money, or if I'm in it just for certain things, it's not gonna it's not gonna be genuine. Like people are gonna see through that, and it's I'm not gonna get what I want primarily because I'm not gonna be able to necessarily derive fulfillment from it any sense of gratification and that's what a lot of people don't realize that work is right it's a it's very much a way for you to define your purpose for a lot of people and work necessarily shouldn't be your purpose and for me it's not my entire purpose it's what i derive from work that gives me purpose right the ability to lead the knowledge behind that decision making being a little bit more agile uh, with my mind and, and with my abilities in general, whatever skill sets I pick up along the way. So, okay, what stood out to me is, is work shouldn't be your purpose. And there's there are a lot of people that try to capitalize on on unhappy people in their in their careers or in their lives. Yep. And they sell the idea of like, you can make a business out of your purpose. It frustrates me to no end. Yep. Because in order to do that, you also have to have a passion for whatever it is your your purpose is. And you also have to have a passion for creating a business and, oh, yeah. and loving business. Yep. And I think that is always sold short. 
that people like to big up the idea and sell you on all these tools on how to make that shit happen and don't ever give you the, the full on like you, you don't have to work for yourself to be happy. You could be perfectly fine working for a large organization, especially if you're valued there. You know, if you're right. not valued, this says something totally different. But that's just something I was thinking about. You know, work doesn't have to be your purpose, and I think it can be your purpose. It, it can. can. It can definitely be. It can be part of your purpose. It shouldn't part be of all your purpose. Of your purpose though. Yeah. I think if you put too many eggs in one basket, you're selling yourself short. Plus, if something were to happen at work or something like that, then you'd lose your entire reason for being but that's what retirement is and i think that's why a lot of people struggle with retirement in in the baby boomer generation and i think that's why retirement looks so different for us even though no one in our generation has reached retirement yet i love to ask people what their plans are because more and more before it used to be like oh i just want to you know be able to chill out and be here and just do nothing to just like oh you know i just want to be able to do whatever i want with my time maybe i'm going to continue doing what i'm doing but not worry about having to get paid because i don't need any money anymore for me, retirement is probably the farthest thing away from my mind. Why? Growing up, I always wanted to do – I alluded to this uh, in, in uh, the last episode. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be someone influential, right? And not necessarily famous, famous. And I think I overstated that. But I wanted to be someone influential. I've always felt like I had that ability because I was really good at listening. I still am. I get that feedback a lot. And I'm really good at uh, communicating when I feel like it. <laughs> it's, a, it's the laziness in me, bro. What can I say? I am a millennial. The reason I usually like to define myself along the lines of what I do, which I've come to realize is wrong, was primarily because it's all I knew. It's all I knew how to do. I only knew to identify with what I did because it's all I've ever been taught to to know growing up teachers and, and professors they're always defining themselves by who they are with relation to their relationship with you so teachers and professors and and even professionals they're always defined by their relationship to you i guess in your world because you don't see them outside of that Isn't it just a way for people to be able to understand or comprehend what the other person's existence is about? But that is the very nature of where we go wrong as a society. Why is that? Because people have been defining themselves by what they do rather than who they are and what their purpose in life is. Your purpose is not waking up at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m., going to work, pulling a nine-to-five, and coming home. And whatever your job title entails, that's your purpose. That's not it. Well, what happens when your job doesn't reflect your purpose? What if you go and describe yourself as, you know, this communicator, this leader, and then your job is... Mailroom clerk. Mailroom clerk, sure. There's no disrespect to being a mailroom clerk, but what if the job that you currently have is not where you see yourself? It doesn't matter. You can take that role and you can own it however you want. For example, if you were a mailroom clerk, how could you be a leader and an excellent communicator in the mailroom? How can you elevate your job to show that you are able to take on more responsibility or even move up at, at, and, and take on a different role within the company? Your purpose should define what drives you, what allows you to accomplish more in life and not limit you to who you are within a limited role 
within within a scope that someone else defined for you, right? Mm. You should never do that. You should define your own role, whether it's completely off the wall or completely conventional. That's up to you. But your purpose should define everything about you. And I recently took a career workshop that was titled Leading at Starbucks. And the whole scope of this was to define your purpose, not per the company's standard, but per your own standard, Mm. to identify what you relate with in your life, what defines you why you are the way you are at work, why you are the way you are at home, why you are the way you are with your friends, kind of like very short, sweet, right to the point, something kind of like very unconventional. It sounds like it's trying to eliminate titles by allowing you to pick your own title. Uh, Not necessarily, not that far, but really kind of trying to give you some kind of foundation as to why you are doing what you're doing and to kind of guide you throughout your career. Right to define your path, what you want to do, and how you're going to get there, and how you're going to do it, right? And and that's and that's what it's all about. But that's not necessarily a reflection of just who you are at work. It also bleeds into how you are at home, right? You take a lot of what you learn at work and you apply it to home. This is the product of progressive leadership, and arriving at this point in my life. I can now say that I've come full circle to where I wanted to be to where I am now. You know, it's, it's funny that you say you take what you learn at work and you bring it home and apply it there because I've, I've done it differently. I take what I've learned at home and apply it into work. So you learn a lot more from home? At home, meaning everything outside of work, life, essentially. Life. Okay. But it's, it's, it's weird to hear it come from, you know, work being the place that you learn the most from and being able to take it and apply it to other things. That's just like such a foreign concept to me. Well, not really. Think about it. A lot of your communication skills, a lot of your organization, a lot of your, uh, a lot, a lot of what characterizes your professional self bleeds into your family life and your friend life. No, it does. You just don't realize it. Okay, I really don't believe so. But you know, I'm also thinking, even from from whether it be from USC or from my own company, I I see it as I contribute more of myself and my life lessons into those spheres rather than them into my personal life. I can't disagree with you because that is your experience and you're entitled to believe it. Yeah. But I challenge you to think about an instance where you've taken something from work or multiple things from work and over multiple, you know, instances and have applied those to your uh, personal relationships because I bet you have, you just haven't realized it yet. The way I learn from work is by taking lessons based off interactions with people at work and applying those not as a, a firm lesson as to if X happens, Y would be the result. It's more along the lines of, okay, wow, that was interesting. That influenced me a, a little bit today. And that inspired me to do something else completely derivative from that. It's not like a direct A equals B, but it's like, a, like I said, it's a derivative result. I understand the whole experience and what you're talking about, but even in that explicitly non-explicit example i see how i've taken that vaguely non-vague example right. that non-vague vague yeah. exactly i see how i've applied those exact same principles but in reverse where i've I've learned things in my personal life and then i go and see situations at work and i was like, okay this is how i can apply this here or i can grow this or you know act or react better in this situation despite the fact that we disagree in some regards mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that our our 
opinions are wrong. It just means that we see things differently, right? And that's perfectly fine because how we got where we're at now is completely different. The important thing to take away from this episode is the fact that no two people will ever reach the same endpoint in life. And that's okay. We always see things differently. And to disagree is to only experience something completely different than what the other person you're, you're interacting with has experienced. How we got where we are today is completely based on what we experienced throughout our lives, how that impacted us, how that changed us, and how that formed our minds to reflect our hopes, beliefs, and goals of this modern day and age. So whether you identify with what you're doing for a living right now or not, it doesn't define you. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Don't let that stop you from ultimately reaching the end goal or where you see yourself at. I know for myself, the journey's just begun. And I've been in this shit for eight years. So don't be afraid to put in the work. And make sure you get what's yours. So let us know how your journey's going. Where can the people find you? You can find me at I am Randy Z on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find me at Turg Says No on Instagram and Twitter. And just to answer a couple of comments that were made about my new handle, it is not a negative handle. Thank you very much. It is very positive. Depends on how you see it, glass half empty or glass half full. We all get here in different ways. Thank you for subscribing to another episode of Talk 30 to Me. We hope you enjoy it and continue to share it with friends. Make sure you stop by our website at talk30tome.com for more content and information about the podcast. Rate us on iTunes, and if you really like what you hear, make sure you hit that donate button. Really appreciate it. For Talk 30 to Me, I'm Turk. And I'm Randy Z. Peace. I, I think I was there when he did it, you weren't even conceived yet. I was. Okay. When Motown was born, I was born. <laughs> I was born in Motown. I was born in Motown. Go ahead. Yeah. Are you dying over there or are you okay? I'm struggling. You got your meds? You want the drowsy? No, thank you. Uh, no, thank you. Um... Why what? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm cutting that in and yeah, you know, let me tell you. I'm just, I'm just doing that for myself later. Cause you pose a rhetorical answer before yes. I do let me answer. Okay. So I just I just did it now so that way. <laughs> Good note. See how we work together? So cool. Alright. Why what? <laughs> huh? <laughs> I just peaked. Alright.
Mm. I didn't talk that much today. <laughs> <laughs> so now, <Straight> up. <laughs> so now, 